Man, are you ready to speak the name of Jesus? If you're here today because you want to speak that from the mountains and in the streets and to your own heart, I think you picked a good week to be here because as we are going through Isaiah, every week we are seeing more pictures, more promises that God is weaving together of exactly who Jesus is, exactly who he was coming to be. You know, last week we saw how he was the child that would be born, the son that was given. And that was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah was writing into a time when the people were rebellious. The kings were evil. They were leading the people to do evil. And God's people had fallen into so much sin that he was now going to take them into captivity to punish them for their rebellion. And yet it's into those moments that we see things like we're going to see today that he is also the branch. A specific child from a specific family tree that would fulfill every picture, every promise that God has offered because he wants to bring us comfort. And that this comforter was not only for those who were looking forward to his coming, but also for us who are looking forward to when he comes again. And you see both of those things in Isaiah chapter 11 today. In fact, if you turn there with me, this branch who fulfills all of this shows up right in the first verse of the chapter. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge. And of the fear of the Lord. So we get right away this, this kind of family tree picture with Jesse as the stem. So Jesse is like the trunk of that tree that this family is growing out of. Now Jesse's name may not be as familiar, but that was David's father. So King David, who, who unified the country, who loved the Lord, who was a man after God's own heart, his dad was Jesse. So the fact that Isaiah here uses Jesse's family tree specifically connects this coming comforter, this coming savior as a Davidic king. That he's just like David, a descendant of Jesse. In fact, this may even be the passage that Matthew is thinking about in the New Testament when he says that Jesus would be called a Nazarene because the Hebrew for that word branch is Nazar. And so there is kingship language woven all through here. But, but notice this. Notice how he's going to reign. Because the spirit of the Lord rests upon him. It's a spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So last week we saw the everlasting father and the son who was given. And today we see the spirit. All three parts of the Trinity. Three in one working to bring these promises together. And of all of these characteristics, I want you to focus on that word knowledge for just a minute. Because when we hear knowledge, we usually think information, data, right? But in the Hebrew language, that word is a word of relationship. The idea is not that we know about the Lord, but that you actually know the Lord. That although the branch was in their distant future, there was a relationship that could be had with him. 
That when we talk about Jesus, we're not just talking about a historical figure or a future figure or a godlike figure who's out there somewhere doing whatever he does while I do whatever I do. But this very word is that it is a relationship built into our understanding of this king. And so because that spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, and might, because that is flowing through him, look at how he judges in verse 3. It says that his delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Now that's a big deal, because you and I do that all the time. And in some ways, it's the only way we can do it, right? I mean, doesn't the first person who complains to you always sound right? Until you hear the second person. (laughs) It's like, the more I hear, the more confused I am. Or how often, we don't mean to, and we feel bad, and you won't even admit it to yourself right now, but you make snap judgments about people because of what they look like or what they're wearing. Well, here's some good news. When the branch comes, he doesn't judge by his eyes or by what he hears. Instead, he with, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor, decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. It's like he's literally wearing righteousness and faithfulness everywhere he goes and he'll get his judgments right every time. Listen, as we share the message of Jesus with people, this is one of the greatest benefits, that he always rules fairly. I don't know about you, but that is difficult for me in my life, but I've seen it happen like once before. Remember, years ago, we had the opportunity, my brother, my sister, and me, as kids, to go on vacation without my parents because they put us with the grandparents for a week. And so my grandparents took us up to the lake and I'm sure that my parents told us, be good for your grandparents. But we were about the same as we would have been for my parents. (laughs) So there was a lot of fighting going on that week. And I remember one specific day where my grandma, smiling like only my grandma could smile with the gentlest voice that you could only hear if you're quiet, sat all three of us down in front of her, and she said, now we are in court. After a huge fight, she let each of us speak, and if anybody else spoke out of turn, you do not have the floor. Please continue. And when they were done, she would ask, is there anything else you'd like to say? Is there anything else you'd like to say? I think we sat there for half an hour while she made sure that everyone felt like they had said everything they possibly could about what he did and she did and they did and no, I didn't. And at the end, She stood quietly for about 10 seconds and then made her judgment. And we were all satisfied. Like, I still to this day have no idea how she accomplished that because there were some consequences for each of us, but every one of us was satisfied that this judgment was fair. And I thought, now my grandma is a follower of Christ, so she has this same spirit, but she still had to just listen and look. Imagine how much more righteous, how much more just, how much more fair the branch will be when he comes in all of his glory. That really is the picture that it's painting for us. And that when he comes, when he leads that way, when the king of kings is ruling over all things, look at what it looks like in verse 6. This is like second coming kind of language. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. 
The cow and bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Yet they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's like dogs and cats living together, real end times kind of stuff, right? And yet you hear again the benefits when the branch is on his throne. No violence. No more destruction. And even the most vulnerable will have peace and safety. You notice this, how every example here of a human being is a child. A little child a young one, a nursing child, a weaned child. And we could add the unborn child. When you look at Psalm 139 and Jeremiah 1, that the most vulnerable will have peace and protection when Jesus is on the throne. You see, the invitation of the branch is to know the Savior who will make everything right. Not just to know about him, not just to know that there's a Savior, but to know him yourself, the Savior who will make everything right. And we know that this life has a lot of challenges, but if you are a follower of Christ, he is promising you that there is a day in the future when he fixes everything. That part of being the Savior is that he is the final fixer. And there will be no more diseases and no more doctor's appointments. There will be no more betrayal and no more tears, no more pain. No more death in all of his holy mountain. Why? Because the knowledge of the Lord will be over the whole earth. Right? Not just so people will know about him, but that on that day, it will be those who know him, who experience that kind of blessing of the Savior who will make everything right. But that's not all. Because in verse 10, he's going to give us another picture very similar to the first, still like a family tree. It says, and in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse. Okay, so we've got a branch of Jesse back in verse one. Now we've got a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. That means he is the leader. He is the king. The people will follow for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. And that phrase resting place to us, we often hear final resting place like a grave. That's not what this means. Remember, this is kingship language. When the king of kings comes, when does he have rest? Only when the battle is won. When there are no more enemies to fight and he sits on his throne and his land is at peace. It's saying that when the branch comes, not only for Israel and for Judah, but the Gentiles, which is everybody else, is going to seek him. But wait a minute, because there's something a little bit strange going on here. The root of Jesse. And we've got to unpack that for a minute, because if verse 1 says that he is the branch of Jesse, if this is a family tree, well, Jesse is your stem, and branches grow out of that. So how is it that he can be the root that Jesse comes from, but also the branch that comes from Jesse? Because branch, that's descendant language, root that's ancestor language. Well, that's a mystery in the Old Testament that's never quite closed until Jesus comes. 
And Jesus is the only one who can fulfill this. The only one. There's no other way. Because essentially what it's saying is, yes, Jesus grows out of the family tree. That child that would be born, that son that was given, a little baby in Bethlehem from Jesse, through David, through many other generations until Jesus is born to Mary and David. He is the branch. But if you've ever read Hebrews or if you were here for when we did that study, you also hear things like, Jesus Christ, by him and through him, all things were made. That because he is fully God, he is also the source of all life, including Jesse's. Not only is he the only human being that can fulfill this, the only one who could be before Jesse and after Jesse, but if you even think about this in the Godhead, three in one, the Father doesn't fulfill this. He was never born. The Spirit doesn't fulfill this. He was never born. It is Jesus Christ, the Son, and Jesus Christ alone, who is both branch and root, descendant and ancestor. In fact, Jesus wanted us to be so clear that Isaiah 11 is about him. I actually completely missed this on my first pass until I was talking to an elder and he asked me a question. I said, well, let me go double check that thing and found that on the last page of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible, the second to last thing Jesus is ever recorded saying in the Bible, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Guys, that is the king that we worship. That is the one, the only one. For everything else that the world will throw at you, there is one king who saves. And he is the root and the branch from the line of David and the stem of Jesse. And so verse 11 tells us that because of this family tree, it shall come to pass in that day. Now when you see that day in the prophets, that almost always refers to the day of the Lord. The idea of when the Lord comes, either in judgment, in salvation, sometimes both. So he is looking forward now into the future. He says, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. From Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. Okay, so what is going on here? Because if, if when the branch comes, when the root comes, he's gathering his people, but it says he's gathering them a second time. Well, so what was the first time? So commentators think that this is one of those places where you pick up how prophets are seeing the future kind of like multiple mountain peaks. And from their vantage point, they can see the peak of each mountain clearly, but they don't always see all of the things that are in between, kind of the space between those mountain peaks. We know from the New Testament that the prophets longed to look into the things that we have seen about Jesus, that even they didn't understand all of their prophecies. And so most commentators think that the first gathering, right, of his remnant would have been 537 BC when they came back from captivity. Now remember, Isaiah is writing before they even go into captivity. And he's already told them there will be a remnant that was fulfilled in 537 BC and over a period of time. Now he's saying, oh, and there will be a second time. 
So one place that we see that is in 1948 when Jewish people are gathered back to an official state of Israel. I mean, you just never see that in history. Nations either last the whole time or they disappear completely. And now they're just history books. For a people to be out of their nation for centuries and then become an official state again is unheard of. But if you just stop there, you're missing the bigger picture because there's another mountain peak after that, which is end times kind of stuff with the second coming of Christ. That much like their return from captivity happened over a period of time, this new gathering is happening over a period of time. 1948 is a part of it. But if you're a follower of Jesus, so are you, as you are being gathered. In fact, if you look at verse 12, it makes this a little more clear. It says that he will set up a banner for the nations. He will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So think about what it means that these promises are not just to the northern kingdom of Israel, not just to the southern kingdom of Judah, but to the nations. And from the nations he is going to gather from the four corners of the earth. Now I know that once in a while people like to throw this out there like, see, that's why you can't trust the Bible. The Bible thinks that the world has corners and that it's flat. That is not true and that is not what the Bible says. <laughs> this is very simple. In fact, the word corners there could also be wings, but you just, all you have to do is picture a map, right? You unfold the map, what do you know? I'm looking at the whole world and it has corners. It literally is just a way of saying in every direction. In fact, really that is the promise of the root. If the branch was coming to make everything right, now the invitation of the root is to seek the Savior who gathers and unites and he can do that anywhere, anytime, with anyone. In fact, I want you to look at what a map would look like if you put Israel at the center and drew the corners of the earth out from Israel. Because this is, obviously they couldn't picture like Australia. <laughs> they didn't know where that was. But this is how they would be thinking about it. You move out from Israel in every direction. And I want to show you some of how this has been happening. Because this was what Jesus instructed his followers to do, right? Hey, start in Jerusalem, but we're going out to the entire world to get this message to people that there is one who fulfills every promise for our comfort. And so there are so many stories I could tell you just from this corner of the earth, but I want to tell you one from India. Because when I lived in Grace Lake, Illinois, I had a friend named Venu Gopal, and Venu grew up in India. And it was kind of funny because he came to the church that I was working at and he filled out his guest card and it had my address on it. <laughs> like, he literally lived two floors above me in the same apartment building for three years and I never met him until he showed up at church. But we ended up really good friends and as he shared with me how he had come to Christ, he talked about his dad's faith. Because as he explained it, in India, like, it's okay to be a Christian, but it's not okay to try to get other people to be a Christian. Like The thing that they really resist is you trying to change someone else's beliefs. But when his dad was a kid, he heard someone speak the gospel to him, to speak Jesus, like we sang to him. And his dad ended up becoming a Christian. And as his dad started reading the Bible, he's like, there is too much in here about telling other people the good stuff that I found. I, I can't just not tell people regardless of what my culture thinks. You know, when he saw what was so different about Jesus from the mysticism and the Hinduism and the caste system. And so he continued to work a full-time job but he also volunteered on the side as a pastor to tell people more about Jesus, including his son, Venu, who's now a faithful follower of Christ, passing that message on. Because he is gathering from the four corners of the earth. In fact, if you go up to this northeast corner, 
Again, there are so many stories that could be shared, but I just want to give you one kind of shockwave that they would hear when Isaiah said this and one stat. Because look at how many countries in this corner are historical enemies of Israel. You're telling me he can gather from the corner that has Arab countries? He can gather from like Assyria and Babylon fit underneath there. And God says he's gathering from every corner. You see China there? Did you know China is actually the fastest growing country in the world when it comes to Christianity? Like there are probably more Christians in China than there are people in all of the United States. And one report I read was that it it literally like, I think it was like a 10 times multiplication over a four-year period. In fact, if you look at like the top 20 countries that are where Christianity is growing the fastest, this is a slight exaggeration, but it's like China's number one and like 17 of the next 19 are Africa. And I know sometimes it can feel like here, like the world is going backwards and shouldn't the kingdom be taking ground and it feels like we're losing our moral compass and we're losing track of God and Jesus and everyone's all over the place. Hey, the kingdom is moving forward and God is gathering people. The branch... The root is undefeated, and he always will be. In fact, if you look at the very next part of this chapter, this is the kind of thing that he can do that no one had ever seen before. It says, also, the envy of Ephraim shall depart. Now, remember, Ephraim is another word for Israel. All right, so that's the northern kingdom, and then Judah was the southern kingdom. And they were supposed to be one kingdom, but they've been fighting for hundreds of years. They are their own enemies. But look at what he says. When the branch shows up, when the root is here, when he sits on the throne, the envy of Ephraim shall depart. The adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Man, the kids are finally getting along. That is so good. I didn't think that was possible. Instead, together they fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. They gather the plunder of the people of the east. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab, and the people of Ammon shall obey them. So here's kind of the amazing picture that's happening right here. When this king brings victory, think about it. How do you bring victory over the enemy? Well, one way is that if the enemy fights back, then the enemy is destroyed. We see some of that in Isaiah. We see a lot of that in Revelation. But the other way to win over the enemy is to win over the enemy. Remember, Paul says that our battle is not really against flesh and blood. There's spirituality, there's principalities, there are other powers. But it's almost like people are caught in the middle. And when people, even from these countries, Ammon, Moab, who were historically their enemies, see this king, there will be those who voluntarily obey him as their Lord, as he's gathering his people. So verse 15 goes on to say that the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the Sea of Egypt. That's probably referring to the Nile River. He will strike uh, with his mighty wind. He will shake his fist over the river. Commentators think that's probably the Euphrates. And strike it in the seven streams and make men cross over dry shod. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. So he gets a little more poetic here, but the idea is that he is clearing a path as he gathers his people in to Mount Zion, to Jerusalem, to worship him when he sits on his throne. 
And I love this language that he picks up on this idea of Egypt. He's casting their minds back thousands of years and saying, remember, this isn't metaphor. I literally parted the waters when everything just looked like wind and waves and made a path of dry ground for you to walk through. When he leads his people, when he gathers you, I don't know what in your life right now looks like wind and looks like waves, and that is all that you can see. And he never promises that this life will be easy. In fact, it's almost the reverse. He says, in this life you will have trouble. But he also says, I have overcome. And he continues to promise the day when the branch, who is the root, will sit on his throne and we will rest. He will lead us on dry ground to that day. Guys, that is the message that we are trying to share to every corner of the earth. In fact, if we go back to our map, if you look at this kind of the southwest corner, I've highlighted one country there, Belize. And again, there's so many places and so many stories, but I just wanted to show you this one because for the last 20 years, people from Cincinnati and people from right here in our Horizon community have been taking medical serving trips down to Belize. And the reason for that is one, like people need help. People need medical care that they can't get. And we have an opportunity to share that. But it's so much more than that. Because in those trips, we're bringing the good news of Jesus and the love of Jesus. There is, there is a reality that will never totally eradicate disease until the branch gets here and sits on his throne. And yet, when we work toward healing, we are doing the same work that Jesus did when he was here. When we work toward healing... We're bringing examples of what the kingdom of God is going to look like when pain is taken away. So if you've ever thought about being a part of that trip, or if you'd like to find more information, there's actually an informational meeting coming up on November 6th. Um, so there's information about that on our website or on the app that you can check that out. Or, or maybe you just want your grandson to become a doctor, and so you're going to see if you can get him to go. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I, I really would encourage you to think about that because I know for some of us that's a prime opportunity to be a part of something that God is doing. And for others of this, maybe you're sitting there thinking, okay, but I probably, I'm probably not going to Belize. I've never been there before. I mean, you know, what does this have to do with me? Well, you might notice that I've saved one corner of the earth. Let's go back to our map. Hey, look, there's Cincinnati, our own little corner of the earth. What does it look like here? Because, guys, this is for us. This is about us. In fact, when Jesus was walking the earth and he talked about his second coming, listen to how he described it that sounds so similar to Isaiah. This is from Matthew 24. He says, And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, north, south, east, west, from every direction on earth, from one end of heaven to the other. Because he's in the process of gathering right now. And when he comes back and he makes that gathering complete, not only is he gathering from every corner of earth, he's gathering from every corner of heaven. That those we love who have gone before us in Christ will be gathered with us. Guys like Isaiah, you'll meet him in that moment and you can tell him, Isaiah, Man, I read your book. That was fantastic. Thank you. I took so much comfort from that. Guys, these are real pictures of what Jesus is going to do. 
This is not just like salve for a wound. This is like everything about who he is for us and what he is calling us into. And we get to be a part of this picture. And so as I was trying to think about how would I apply what I've read from Isaiah 11, I realized the application is actually in Isaiah 12. So check this out. In Isaiah 12, he says, in that day. So we've been talking about all this stuff about the future, but look at this. This is for us now. In that day, you will say, oh Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for Yah, that's Yahweh, the Lord is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You see, the first way that he applies this is that you need to take hold of that salvation yourself. Right? Going back to that idea of knowing him, that there's just, it's not just that he is the Savior. It's that he has become my salvation. The enemy will try to convince you that's not true. He'll try to scare you, drag you down, or, or swallow you up with regret. But you speak these words to yourself, that he is your salvation. And honestly, if you're sitting here and you don't know if you've ever taken hold of that, I never want to leave people thinking like, hey, why don't you come back in six months, you know, kind of think about that thing. We don't know when he's coming back. So maybe today is the day that you say, I want to know that he has become my salvation. Because that's first. And then second, the second half of chapter 12, it's just a short one, like a song that he sings in response to this. He says, and in that day... You will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted, sing to the Lord. Hey, we did that today, didn't we? Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. The branch and the root who will sit on the throne. And you see that phrase, declare his deeds among the peoples. So when Isaiah is applying his own stuff, when he writes chapter 11 and then says, so here's what we're going to do with it. The first thing he says is, I need to take hold that this is my salvation. Then I need to declare it to other people. So I'll just tell you for myself, this is not, does not have to be a guilt trip for you, but just from my own history. When I was a younger follower of Christ, I would actively tell people that I don't share my faith because I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm glad some people do, and I hope they're really going after it. You know what I would say? Besides, doesn't, doesn't Peter say something like, be ready you know, when they ask to give you a reason for hope? So I'm ready if somebody asks, just kind of out of the blue, if someone says, Drew, would you please tell me about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked, because otherwise we weren't having this conversation. <laughs> Right? So I, I know as I look back now, really I was just afraid. I was afraid, what if they asked me a question I don't know the answer to? Well, hopefully if you know me today, you have probably asked me a question I don't know the answer to. And I say, hey, let's, let's go dig in. Let's explore together. You know, I was afraid, what if I say something wrong and I mess it up? What if like this is their one chance to love Jesus and I'm too stupid and I blow it and they go to hell? So can I just tell you, God is like way more sovereign than that. Like, we are absolutely plan A. When he left this earth and he said, I'll be coming back, he told his disciples, go make disciples of all nations. Guys, we are plan A. He wants to work through us. 
But at the same time, you will never catch God sitting up in heaven like, oh man, I should not have sent Drew. I did not realize, he was not ready for this. And that's it, lost that one, right? That is not our God. In fact, I think what you'll find is that if you're prayerful about this, God will lead you in surprising ways. So let me be clear. here's, Here's what I'm not saying. Because I know that the Bengals have a bye week, so you've got the afternoon off. So you could just go home and and ring every doorbell in the neighborhood and let's get that gospel out there, right? Well, let me tell you, I know people, and maybe you do too, who were saved because somebody knocked on the doorbell. A stranger knocked and said, let me tell you about Jesus. I know people who were saved because they just happened to sit by the right guy on the plane, and by the time that plane landed, they loved Jesus. I know people who were saved because they found a tract, and they read it, and it told them something that they'd never heard before. But if the only way that God could reach people was by ringing doorbells and sitting on planes, well, I'm an introvert. He never would have reached me. (laughs) Because when I hear the doorbell ring, I hide. And when I get on the plane, I put earbuds in. (laughs) And I'm working on it. I'm going to be a nicer person. But with that reality, right? You know how he reached me? My parents. My grandparents. Mrs. Mavis. And a couple of really good friends. You might be somebody's parents, grandparents. I don't think you're Mrs. Mavis, but you might be somebody's friend. And so I would encourage you, I think our key takeaway from this, I'm going to apply it the same way as Isaiah. Speak salvation to yourself and to the people around you. I know there's a temptation to say, I I will just try to be a nice person and hopefully they'll ask. Guys, if you're not being a nice person, it won't mean much when you say it, but we've got to use words. We have to tell people his name and who he is. And I found that the easiest way to do that is through relationship, through friendship, where you're just talking about how you overcame anger, why you're not afraid when the market turns down, how you've learned to love your wife or be more patient with your kids. Just declare the good things he's done in your own life. In fact, I'll tell you a longer story about this sometime, but I remember one of, the, one of the first times I really was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to be brave. And I was having lunch with a buddy that I felt like he might be open to spiritual things, and so driving there, I'm like, Lord, if he says this, I could say this, and if he says this, I could say this. I had like 11 plans for how to take any conversation about anything and turn it spiritual. So we order our food, we sit down at the table, he says, hey, Drew, I got a question for you. Okay, man, I'm ready. So I've been reading Genesis I think I can use this, Lord, (laughs) right? Like, God is so far ahead of us. So what I would encourage you is, would you sit down? Maybe this is what you do this afternoon with no Bengals game on. Would you sit down with the Lord and just start to pray about the people around you? Don't try to run ahead of him, but don't try to hold him back either. Start to pray about the people around you and see if he might reveal to you, put someone on your heart where his spirit is already working. Because he's gathering us from every corner of the earth. Would you pray with me? Father, can I just thank you for the people that spoke Jesus to us? Lord, that the reason I'm standing here saying I can't wait for the branch, the root, the King Jesus to come is because someone spoke that to me. Lord, would you give us the sensitivity to see your spirits leading where that might be. And Lord, also to take hold of that salvation ourselves. To speak it to us, to speak it to others. Lord, and in every moment we just say that we can't wait until you get back. We love you, Jesus. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.